So it's been a little while since I moved out, since the breakup, and I haven't been able to bring myself to really record so much, but I wanted to give you guys an update about the way things have been. Welcome to Through the Fire, a podcast about how to live life while experiencing emotional abuse. Each week, I'll share my experiences with you, and we'll break down the lessons I've learned and help you apply them to your own life so that we can all start living with joy and purpose while learning how to keep ourselves safe and sane. So the first week that I was gone, I spent a lot of time writing. Um, I was journaling on my feelings. I tried my best to just feel them, not to turn them off and not to judge myself for feeling however I was feeling, whether it was sad or missing him or scared I knew that my feelings were going to be all over the place. And so I just tried to feel them as fully as I could without judging myself, without stopping them. And I just spent a lot of time journaling. I revisited some old events in our relationship that had happened a few years ago. And I wrote about them. And it was really freeing because I wasn't allowed to really talk about them while we were together. Every time I tried to talk about them, it was like, oh, you're throwing this in my face again. I'm never going to live that down. I'm holding on to the past. And it was really hard for me because I never got to fully process it. So now that I have all this free time and this ability to feel my feelings without judgment, I was able to write down what happened and my feelings about everything and just get it all out on paper. And it felt so good to not have it inside me anymore to just let it out to know that it is there it's documented if I need to revisit it for whatever reason I can I can share it with whomever I choose to share it with but I don't have to keep it bottled up inside I spent so much of that relationship judging myself judging myself for staying for getting involved with him in the first place for tolerating mistreatment for putting up with lies, for falling for lies. I judged myself for crying, for being sad and feeling hopeless and depressed. I judged myself for staying. I judged myself for considering to leave. I judged myself for everything. And when I look back on it, I realized that the judgments I was passing on myself were not even really my feelings. They were his feelings. They were his judgments. He was so critical of me and I fell in line with that treatment of myself as well. It's not like anybody wants to make the choice to treat themselves badly because somebody else is treating them badly, but it's what was familiar. It's what was happening. I judged myself for being gaslighted and we know that it's not my fault that somebody else is trying to convince me that my reality is not happening they're the ones that are doing it. But I judged myself for falling for it, for recognizing that it was happening and it's still working. And I felt stupid and not good enough. So once I was out, you know, I've done a lot of personal development work over the years. I've spent all of my 20s and 30s working on myself, studying psychology and how the brain works and how feelings work. And how to improve your life. So I knew that when these feelings came up, 
the fastest way to get over them was to get through them, to feel them, to not try to push them away, not try to hide them, not try to squash them back down, but to allow them to come up and feel them no matter how bad it felt and just give myself the space to feel them and the permission to feel bad if I felt bad and to feel happy when I felt happy. And I didn't need to feel guilty when I was having happy moments. I spent a lot of the first two weeks feeling just numb. Didn't feel like much of anything at all. You know, people would ask how I was doing and I just didn't know. I felt okay. I just felt like nothing. And I allowed myself to feel that too without judgment. That I recognized that those feelings of numbness might be serving a purpose. Maybe I wasn't ready to deal with the trauma in every moment and I needed to feel numb in order to make it through. And that was okay. However you respond is is okay. You don't have to judge yourself for it. So our brains like to minimize what happened or what's happening, rationalize what's going on, denying reality. And these are all coping mechanisms. These are all ways that your brain helps you to stay sane. It's a survival thing. And a lot of times you have to do that because if you fully process what's going on, it is too painful. You're going to lose it. And I realized that I did that so much in that relationship. I spent so much time denying, minimizing, not recognizing or allowing myself to fully process what was going on, what I was going through. And a little bit of that carried over to when I left, just not fully allowing myself to process my situation. And there's good and bad about that. You know, obviously you want to be realistic with yourself about your situation, but sometimes when you have an overwhelming situation ahead of you, if you fully take in the gravity of the situation, it's overwhelming and you get frozen. So to some degree, my, my unwillingness to process the gravity of my situation helped me be able to take action which is why I was trying really hard not to judge myself for feeling that numbness. Now, my healing process, what I've been doing to heal, I've been writing about the traumatic events in the relationship. So when I was writing about these events that happened, all these feelings came flooding back. It was like I had just experienced them. So if we go talking about this minimizing, not fully processing the gravity of your situation, there are some telltale signs that this is happening. For example, my mother was really scared for me. And I rationalized that by saying, oh, all moms are overreacting. All moms get really scared for their kids when it's not that bad and they just need to relax. And then my neighbors, my neighbors told me that they were worried I was going to end up on Dateline. And I rationalized that by saying they just don't know him really well. You know, they only see him in passing. We only hang out occasionally. I know him better than they do. They told me that their brother, who was a police officer, said that he was uncomfortable around my guy, that the way he carried himself was in alignment with somebody who was dangerous and that they should watch out for him. And those two comments, the ones that came from the cop and my neighbors, I mainly brushed them off. I did a little bit of rationalizing, but mostly it was denial with those two comments because I did not know how I was going to get by if they were true. People that didn't even know us were scared for my life. That they were willing to put themselves at risk to warn me. That's a really scary thing. 
And if you've ever seen somebody who is in a dangerous situation and you had the inclination that you might want to speak up and then didn't because it put you in a bad position, that's how most people are. Most people don't want to get involved because it puts themselves at risk. And here are some people who were acquaintances, mostly strangers, who were standing up for me, who were taking a powerful stand, who were not afraid of the consequences to try and help keep me safe. And in order for me to get through the next few months, I had to just push it down. I had to be in denial about how serious that really was. I did make a mental note of it, and it's something that stuck with me. And it was something that I would remind myself of from time to time, but I wouldn't allow myself to fully feel the feelings of terror and shame that went along with those comments. But I did keep them somewhat in the front of my mind as motivation to keep going with my plan to escape. When I finally left, my neighbor came out and she was like, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm I'm leaving. I'm moving out. And she's like, you didn't even tell me. I said, I know I didn't tell anybody. I didn't want anyone to know until after I was gone. And she said, good. Finally, it's about time. I hope you don't come back. And that was good to hear, but it also hurt because we had become friends over the last few months and I was going to miss her a lot. The fact that she was able to recognize that it wasn't a safe place for me and that I was better off somewhere else, even if it meant sacrificing our friendship, really meant a lot to me. So another way that we rationalize or minimize abuse is saying things like, oh, it's not that bad, or he only does it when he's drunk, or, well, it's only emotional abuse. And why the brain does this, right? What's the purpose of this minimizing? Well, the brain is trying to give you some hope. If you are living in a hopeless space that's a very very dark place to be if you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel if you feel like this is how it's going to be forever and there's no hope or no chance that it's going to improve that's a very dangerous place to live in that's how you get depressed that's how you make poor choices right so your brain is trying to keep you safe which is what it usually does (laughs) your brain is also trying to help you believe that this abuser loves you that they care about you because it would be too painful to realize that the person that you're building this life with doesn't actually have your best interest at heart. They don't actually care about your well-being. They don't actually love you, right? We all need love. We all need that human connection. Without it, we suffer. We die. Babies who don't get that connection have a syndrome called failure to thrive, right? They can literally die from a lack of human connection. So our drive to feel loved is a very, very powerful drive. And it's just a basic human need is the need to feel that connection with other people. And if you were to admit to yourself that you are sharing your life with somebody without any real connection, that could be too painful for your brain to process. So it wants to protect you from that. It wants to convince you that this person that you're choosing to be with actually loves and cares about you. So why do other people minimize your abuse? Other people tend to minimize your abuse too, saying, oh, it's not that bad. You'll get through it. Have you tried counseling? You know, all of the things. I'm sure you've experienced all the things where other people are trying to convince you that it's not that bad. The reason other people do this is that it's too overwhelming for them. This is a common theme, if you haven't noticed, a pretty consistent thread that is just too much for people to handle. If other people were to admit the truth that they saw you getting abused and mistreated and they did nothing, They wouldn't be able to live with themselves. If something happened to you, if they knew that you were getting severely mistreated or beaten or or abused and they just stood by and did nothing, they would probably not be able to handle the guilt. 
So if they rationalize it, if they minimize it, then if something were to happen, they can always fall back on like the, well, I didn't know it was that bad, or I didn't see the signs, which they might believe. They might believe they didn't see the signs and that they didn't know it was that bad because it's too overwhelming for them. And that brings us to why do abusers minimize the situation? And this one should be fairly clear. Abusers minimize the abuse because it's a form of abuse. It's another form of abuse. Minimizing, denying, and blame shifting is all types of abuse. It gets them off the hook. They don't have to take responsibility for their actions or what they've done or how bad they've hurt you if they minimize it, if they blame you for it, if they deny what happened, right? Why would you apologize for something that didn't happen? Why would you have to feel guilty about doing something that wasn't your fault, right? So minimizing the abuse is their way of getting themselves off the hook. And it makes you tolerate more and more abuse because if they're constantly minimizing what's going on, they can keep pushing the envelope. Once they desensitize you to one level of abuse, they start minimizing it. They make it seem like it's not that bad. So then they can ramp it up. They can increase the abuse. And it's a vicious cycle. And it just keeps going on and on like that. The more they abuse you, the more they minimize it, the more it becomes normalized to you, the more you feel like it's not that big of a deal, the more they can abuse you. So real quick, before we wrap things up, I want to talk about some of the benefits and drawbacks of being in denial, of minimizing your situation. One benefit of being in denial or minimizing your situation is that it can help you stay calm long enough to get your children safe and to get yourself safe. It can help you survive a situation if it's not safe for you to leave yet. If your abuser is really mistreating you, if your situation is dangerous and on top of that, you are freaking out and you can't think straight, that could make your situation worse. So sometimes your body, your mind will start minimizing the situation just so that you can get through it. This is like a coping mechanism and it's not always terrible, but there are obvious drawbacks, right? You don't see danger when it's there. You don't realize how important it is for you to get out of this situation quickly. You don't realize the level of precaution that you need to take in order to keep yourself safe. So how do you stop doing this? How do you stop minimizing your abuse? Well, the first step is to raise your self-esteem. And I will be the first to tell you that it is extremely difficult to do this while you're in an abusive situation. When somebody is constantly trying to tear you down, to make you feel small, to make you feel worthless, or make you feel like you're not good enough. It is extremely difficult to build your self-esteem, but it can be done if you make a commitment to yourself, if you remind yourself constantly that what they are saying is done with a purpose to try to tear you down and that what they're doing is lying to you about yourself. You can work on building your self-esteem through affirmations, through journaling, through meditation, through making new friends, joining a support group, getting a therapist, uh, your own private therapist, not a couples therapist. We've talked about that in other episodes where couples therapy is not safe if you are in a relationship with an abuser. So that would be my number one recommendation. Start working on your own self-worth. Start realizing that you are lovable, that you are enough, that you deserve the best out of life, that you are okay just the way you are. Even if you're different than your partner, it doesn't mean that you're bad or that you're wrong. 
You are a divine being and you are worthy of living a great life just because you don't need to prove yourself to anybody and you don't need to do anything to be deserving of it. You are deserving of it because you exist. So another thing that you can do is join our Facebook group. Right? This is a place where we are coming together as a community to support each other going through this, making new connections, sharing our stories, getting validation for our feelings and our realities. Also, if you have questions about what's going on or if you have a request for a topic that you would like to hear spoken about on this podcast, you can request that in the Facebook group. I'm in the Facebook group. You can get direct access to me. I'm available to answer questions and be there for you guys. So please join us. It's facebook.com slash groups slash through the fire podcast. So we hope to see you over there and please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast so we can help get this information out to other people who are still suffering. Really appreciate you. And if you've enjoyed this episode and you would like to contribute to the cause and help me continue to create amazing content, you can buy me a virtual coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash through the fire. Thanks again. And I will catch you next week.